Well, today uh, we are going to look at a passage in Acts chapter 2. If you can go ahead and turn there, we're going to look at verses 42 through 47. And then next Lord's Day, we will be returning to our study of Genesis. But what I wanted to do today uh, is something I did last year, the last uh, Lord's Day we had in December, was just to take a moment and to think biblically about what it is we need to resolve to do. Uh, We live in a culture where we often see people make resolutions this time of year, and most of us in this room probably have or will make some type of resolution going into the next year. But I think as believers, it's important that we make resolutions based on the Scripture and how it informs us and teaches us and guides us. And so today we're going to look at a passage in Acts chapter 2, where we see that the early church, the early believers and their foundation gathering. And as we look to this passage, what I hope that we can see together are are some things that the New Testament church resolved to do, the fruit of that resolution, and then to consider in our own lives, then what do we need to resolve to do? So I know you just sat down. I'm going to ask you to stand one more time at a reverence for the Word of God as I read through these verses. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. This is what God's Word says to us today. And they, speaking of these New Testament believers, these new Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. If you would, pray with me. Father, we do pray in Jesus' name that you would teach us from your word today. And Lord, we pray that we might see the fruit of the gospel that was evident here in Acts chapter 2. Lord, that day by day, you would bring people to salvation here through our church and here in our community and throughout the world as a result of the discipleship we have going on here. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now you may be seated. Well, as I mentioned already, uh, I am assuming, I'm guessing that a number of you have already made some resolutions or considered resolutions going into the new year. Uh, Most commonly, people usually make resolutions along the lines of they want to save money or they want to get fit. One of the more popular resolutions is in the coming year to to volunteer to help somebody out. Uh, Probably the most popular resolution is people resolve to lose weight. I had a good friend who the other day was telling me that every year he resolves to lose weight and he never seems to accomplish it. So next year, he's just resolving to lose something. And so, if you're an underachiever, just resolve to lose something in in 2014. Uh, These resolutions have their roots in a a very ancient practice. I've shared this before, that the ancient Romans, one of the gods, the false gods they worshipped was Janus. Uh, Janus, they felt, was the god of beginnings. In fact, they would depict Janus looking forward and looking back. 
Uh, he was the God who could look and see what had happened. He was the God who they felt looked forward. And so the ancient Romans had a practice each year of making resolutions, essentially making promises to Janus, this God. Now that then translated when our Roman calendar was put together into January being the first month of the year. And that's where that practice comes from. And so it has its roots, it has its beginnings, really in a pagan practice. And yet, I believe as Christians, we are still encouraged to resolve to do things. And that even though there's pagan beginnings to this practice of New Year's resolutions, I think that, that, that we can take this time of year as well to consider to resolve but not like the world resolves, not just simply to make decisions based on our finances or our physical health, although we need to consider those things, but to be biblically informed about the resolutions we make. Because as you read through the Scripture, as you study it, you see this this concept of resolving, of making up your mind to be a very important one in those who have walked with the Lord. Uh, For example, when you read the book of Daniel, Uh, You see young Daniel who's taken in captivity essentially by the Babylonians and how uh, he is a strong young man, is given the king's choice food to eat. He he has to make a decision. Uh, This food that's put before him is against the dietary laws that he's been taught. And, And what he sees it then as is this will be displeasing to the Lord to eat it. And yet he is under the reign of a pagan king who doesn't care much about what that Daniel's God has told him to do and not to do. But Daniel 1.8 specifically says that Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Daniel made up his mind. Daniel resolved. And we see the Lord bless him as a result. We see in Acts chapter 19, Paul, as he's determining where it is he's going to go on his missionary journeys, the the Scripture says that Paul resolved in the Spirit. He he made up his mind. He made a Spirit-informed decision as to where he would go and what he would do. And he resolved then to do it. And of course, we see Paul then teaching the believers in 2 Thessalonians this. He says, to this end... We always pray for you. He's telling them how he prays for these believers. That our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. Paul was praying for these believers that as they resolved biblically, spirit-filled resolutions, as they made these resolves, that, that, that God would empower them then to do these things. And so I think it is fitting, Christian, that, that we too resolve to do things, but that we resolve in light of what the Scripture teaches us. And I think the Scripture teaches us much here in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, those verses I read, 42 through 47, we often looked at this, look at this as a description of the early church. And it's a rather marvelous description as you consider all that's said in just these few verses. What this early group of believers looked like. It's important as well to understand the context if you're not familiar with Acts chapter 2 of what's happened here. At the end of the Gospels, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we see Jesus coming and appearing and, and walking with and discipling and continuing to teach His followers. 
And at the culmination of that time, at the beginning of the book of Acts, we see Jesus giving his finally earthly teaching to his disciples and telling them that that the Holy Spirit's going to come. And that the Holy Spirit's going to empower them to be witnesses. And that they're going to be bold witnesses for the gospel of Jesus all over the place. And then we see the miraculous take place. Uh, The Jewish people had a feast called Pentecost. And at this feast of Pentecost, there were people from all different nations gathered together for this feast. And as they're all gathered together there, the Holy Spirit fills these early disciples and they begin to speak in other languages. Languages of people that are there from other nations who are then able to hear and receive the gospel. Now just consider this for a moment. Consider if you've ever been to a place where people spoke another language. You, you, you've faced then the frustration probably of wanting to communicate something and not being able to communicate it very well. I've, I've learned over the years different hand motions and things to do to try to figure out how to get the essentials. But still, there's times I've found myself on the mission field in different countries where I can't communicate to someone what it is I really want to effectively tell them. Imagine what it would be then for the Holy Spirit to so move that not only can I communicate to them about bare necessities, but that I can, in their tongue, in their language, all of a sudden communicate to them the fullness of the gospel. And that's what happens at Pentecost. And so as a result of that, what we find then in Acts chapter 2, in the verses leading up to the passage I read, is that all of a sudden, all these people are coming to faith in Christ. All these people are repenting. They're actually coming and saying, what do we need to do to be saved? And they're being told, you need to repent and you need to be baptized. Well, verse 41 then tells us this. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now just consider that for a moment. That's that's a whole lot of Bloomfields there. (laughs) That 3,000 people in that day repented and placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And so the the context of 42 through 47 comes right after this has happened. Right after the Spirit's descended, people have been filled with the Spirit, disciples are speaking in other languages that other people then can hear and understand. And as a result, these people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ and 3,000 are added to them. That the church is growing. And then, when we read in verse 42... They, that's who we're talking about. We're talking about the disciples. We're talking about the early believers. And so in that context then, we see this passage. And in this passage, I think we see a resolve in these believers that can inform us as to what we need to consider resolving in the coming year. Beginning with this first resolution I've put there in your notes. I believe we, based on this passage should resolve to devote ourselves to the Lord and His church. I think fundamentally what we see in these disciples, these early believers, is a resolution, a resolve. They were devoted to the Lord, and they were devoted to the Lord's church. If you're considering a resolution for the coming year, and even beyond the coming year, I think this is a great one to make. To be devoted to the Lord, and devoted to His church. Now the question may come then, well, what does that look like? Well, what does it look like for someone to be devoted to the Lord? Well, I believe biblically what it looks like is that when we're devoted to the Lord, that we're devoted to the Word of God. 
that, that we, are, we are resolved to know the Lord, to know the things the Lord has taught, that we might be able to apply those things to our life. And that's exactly what you see here in these early believers. Verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now consider that for a moment. You think about Pentecost, and you think about all that has taken place at Pentecost, and how these believers are filled with the Spirit, and how all these people are coming to faith in Christ, that this was a Spirit-filled church. And the very first thing we read about them is that they devoted themselves to the Word of God. That was fundamental. Now, now think about that in our day and age. If we were to put on our sign out there, Bloomfield Spirit-filled Church, that, that, that would give a connotation in our culture. When we see Spirit-filled on a label, we tend to think of charismatic and we tend to think of Pentecostal. And I believe we have many faithful brothers and sisters in Christ in charismatic and Pentecostal churches. But how do we tend to think about those churches? We tend to think about them at times emotionally. We tend to think about them at times experientially. We, we tend to think about them in terms of gifts of the Spirit. That's what we tend to think of when we hear that label, Spirit-filled. And yet, I believe that based on the text, that, that the most evident fruit of being filled by the Spirit in the early church, that the most evident fruit, the foundational fruit, was they were devoted to the Word of God. That, that if we are properly filled with the Spirit, as the Scripture teaches, then we desire to know the Lord and to know everything we can learn about the Lord. And we learn that through the Lord's Word. And that's why I believe you see these early Christians, verse 42, fundamentally, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now you may ask, well, what was it the apostles taught? Well, I believe the apostles would have taught what Jesus taught them to teach. In Matthew 28, the Great Commission, Jesus says, go out and make disciples. And what does he tell them? I want you to teach them all that you've observed. I want you to teach them everything I've taught you. We see a similar teaching in 2 Timothy 2, where Paul instructs Timothy, listen, I want you to find faithful men who I want you to teach, and I want you to find men who can then teach others. And so what we see here in this gathering of the early believers is fundamentally, as they're coming together, they're coming to the apostles and they're saying, we want to know more about the Lord. We want to know more of what the Lord taught you. Teach us what you've been taught. And friends, that, that's exactly what we are called to today as a church. We, we are to gather together to learn about the things that the Lord has taught. And, and we have them here in His Word. This is the teachings of our Lord from beginning to end. And just as the early church was devoted to it, we need to be devoted to it as well. And that, I believe, is the most evident fruit of being a spirit-filled church. Not only did they devote themselves to the Lord's Word, the apostles' teaching, the Scripture says then they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Now, when I say the word fellowship, what... what What's the first thing that usually comes to your mind? Food. <laughs> in fact, what do we call those places in our churches where we gather to eat? Fellowship halls. We don't call them eating halls or fried chicken halls. We call them fellowship halls. And so here we eat so much, we have a small fellowship hall and we have a big fellowship center. Because we really like fellowship here at Bloomfield Baptist Church. 
We associate fellowship with meals. We associate fellowship with gathering together. And I don't think that's a false association. But I do think we, we kind of miss a little bit of the point when we simply think of it that way, when we only think of it that way. Uh, the Greek word for fellowship used here in Acts chapter 2 is a word that means this, to share and have things in common. To, to come together for a common purpose and reason. So, so fellowship is not just when a group of people come together. A fellowship isn't even when a group of hungry people come together. Uh, fellowship is when a people who are set apart come together because they share something specific in common. And what we see these believers sharing in common is very evident. They are repenting believers and followers of Jesus Christ who are coming together as the church of Jesus Christ. And in their coming together, they have fellowship. And friends, th that is why this that you're in right now is a fellowship hall. That is why when believers gather, we, we are coming together for fellowship. Because we are a group of people who have something in common. And what we have in common is not just our zip code. And what we have in common is not just that we're in the same place right now. What we have in common is that we are followers of Jesus Christ. And here's where this is very significant. When you read through the New Testament, you see fellowship is not just based on a one-time identifying with Jesus Christ. Fellowship is based on an ongoing identification with Jesus. Here's what I mean by this. Uh, sometimes we think of the church in this way. We think of the church in the context of everyone who has ever walked the aisle here at Bloomfield is a part of Bloomfield Baptist Church. But that's not how the Scripture refers to fellowship. The Scripture refers to fellowship as not just as those who once proclaimed Jesus as Lord of their lives, although they may not anymore. The Scripture refers to fellowship as those who today continue to remain steadfast in their faith and to walk with the Lord. And that is what, means, what it means to have fellowship. I'll give you an example. 1 John chapter 1 says this, If we say we have fellowship with Him, meaning Jesus, while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. What we learn there in 1 John is that if we say, oh yes, I'm part of this fellowship, I'm in fellowship with these believers, and yet we are openly walking in sin and we're unrepentant, the Scripture has a term for that. It says we're liars. In fact, it goes on to explain, we're in darkness. We're walking in darkness. Have you ever tried to walk in darkness? Have you ever maybe been on a, a camping trip or been outdoors and been in an area where it was really dark and all of a sudden the lights go out in the flashlight? What do you do then? You walk real slow, don't you? And sometimes what do you do? You find yourself on the ground because you trip and you can't see. And you're just fumbling around. That's very different than when you walk in the light. When you find yourself in that same place and all the lights are on, well, you're just strolling and walking because you can see what's around you. The Scripture says that if you right now are in unrepentant sin, or if beyond that, if you're just an unbeliever, if you're not a Christian, it says you don't have fellowship with the Lord, and if you don't have fellowship with the Lord, you don't have fellowship with His people. What it means to have fellowship with the Lord and to have fellowship with His people 
is that we are resolving daily to walk with Him. We're resolving to confess sin and to repent of sin. We're resolving to live fundamentally by His Word. And then, with that resolution in common, we have fellowship. Then we can enjoy some fried chicken. (laughs) And we can enjoy some food and do some other things. But that's the foundation of our fellowship. And to have that foundation, we need to resolve to be devoted to the Lord and devoted to His church, to His people. And so, as you consider resolutions, consider what that looks like in your life. To be devoted to the Lord, I believe, fundamentally means being devoted to His Word. And so I want to encourage you to be devoted to the Word of God in 2014. To to make a resolution that you will live by this Word. And to think of practical ways that you can implement reading the Bible into your life every day in 2014. For some of you, you already do this. You have a daily practice of reading the Bible. But even for those who have a daily practice, sometimes that daily practice can become a weekly practice. (laughs) Sometimes we can get laps in our Bible reading. And so that's why I would encourage you to have accountability. I'll tell you, for me personally, going into 2014, uh, every few years I'll, I'll try to read through the Bible in a year. And if you've ever tried to read through the Bible in a year, depending on what Bible reading plan you've used, you know that sometimes there's certain books of the Old Testament you get to and and that Bible reading plan just kind of falls by the wayside. Or or you do really good in January, February. It's almost like these health clubs we sign up for. You know, everybody's at the gym January 2nd and 3rd. But if you want to find a parking space in March, you're not going to have a problem. (laughs) Well, we do the same thing in our commitments to read the Word. And so have accountability. I've got several men that I communicated with this week who we we are forming accountability to read through the Bible, use the same Bible reading plan next year. And so as we read the Bible that day, we're simply going to send each other a message saying, I've read it today. That's our accountability. Look for that accountability in your life. There's all types of Bible reading plans out there. Your challenge doesn't necessarily have to be to read through the whole Bible. Maybe just read through the New Testament next year. Just read the Bible every day next year. One very simple way to make sure you read the Bible every day, oftentimes what I'll do is I'll make sure at the very minimum I read a proverb each day. There's 31 proverbs. The most days you're going to find in a month is 31 days. I'll read the proverb that goes along with that day. It gets you in the Word of God. If you don't read any of the Bible at all right now, read a verse a day. Start somewhere. But resolve to be devoted to the Lord. And then as you're devoted to Him, to be devoted to His people, the church. And so look for ways that you can be more devoted. You guys are devoted. You're at the early service. So a little bit of preaching to the choir here. But but if you're not in a Sunday school class, then get in a Sunday school class. If you're not in a group where you study the Bible together, look for a Bible study group to be in. Make that resolution. And I promise you, if you resolve to be in God's Word consistently and be gathered with God's people consistently, God will bless that resolution. We certainly see him blessing it here in the New Testament church that we see. Second, resolve to be a better steward of the resources God has blessed you with. I believe we see great biblical stewardship in this passage as well. As we see their devotion to teaching, their devotion to fellowship, signs and wonders taking place. And then in verse 44, and all who believed were together. And had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now now let me just say what, what this is not telling us. 
Uh, this is not a description of communist living. Uh, the, the theory of communism, very simply put, is nobody owns anything and all things are essentially shared. And so there's no classes. You're just all kind of at the same level. Now, if any of you have ever traveled to a communist country or a former communist country, you, you know what a failure this system is. I remember the first time I went to a former communist country was in uh, the summer between my uh, sophomore and junior years of college. I went to Slovakia, the Slovak Republic. It had just broken off from the Czech Republic. Formerly, it had been Czechoslovakia. It had been a communist country for many, many years. And I remember one of the things I learned very quickly in this country that literally while I was there, they were changing over the money notes. They were declaring their independence. They were becoming established in this country. I remember you could just see the marks of communism everywhere. One of the things I noticed was there was no color in anything. Everything was gray. And I asked somebody about it, and they explained it this way. They said under communism, there was really no sense of private ownership, so there was really no reason to improve anything. There was no motivation to make something better. There was no pride in work at all. And I thought about that a lot that summer as I would get on transportation and other things that were built under communism, I was thinking, I'm a little worried that there was no pride in work when this device was made that I'm riding in. It was a failed system because it forced people to try to live at a similar level when in reality there were people who lived at a very upper class in that system. That, that's not what the New Testament church is describing here when it says they had all things in common. It's not socialism either. Socialism says you can have private ownership, but essentially you you are forced to redistribute that wealth so that everybody has their needs met. That's not what's happening here. What we see here is that there are individuals who own things, but they are compelled by the Spirit to understand a key biblical concept. And that concept is this, that what they own isn't truly theirs but it's the Lord's. And that the Lord has put them in a position to use what it is they have for the furtherment of His kingdom. And friends, I believe that's exactly how we are called to view our resources today. That that checking account that has your name on it, or you and your spouse's name on it, or maybe your parents' name on it, that's not really just yours. Those are resources the Lord has blessed you with to use for His purposes in His kingdom, in a way that we see these resources being used by these believers in this Christian community that we see in Acts chapter 2. And so we see examples then of what this looks like. For example, in Acts chapter 4, if you're familiar with Barnabas and the story of Ananias and Sapphira, how that all comes about is you've got a context there where in the church, when there was ever a need, that need was met then by the church. And the church was able to meet that need because people who were blessed and had abundance would sell off possessions and would bring those resources then and lay them at the feet of the apostles and the apostles then could use those resources to go and bless people where they might have needs. That's what that Christian community looked like in the Scripture. And that is what I believe our Christian community is to look like today. So why doesn't it? Well, you think about your finances and you think about the finances of so many. And for many, our finances are riddled with debt and living beyond our means and placing a value on the wrong things and not having a plan 
for our spending. And so there's not a lot of biblical stewardship there. For most of us, when we think of stewardship, we think about, okay, what's left in the bucket after I've paid everything else? And then how much of that can I really, can, can I feel okay about putting over here towards the ministry of the church? And that's very different, I believe, than the Scripture calls us to view our resources. For example, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 says, Honor the Lord from your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. I found that to be one of the most practical teachings for Sandy and I and our financial stewardship. Because I don't know about you, but for us, there aren't any last fruits. <laughs> There's a lot of first fruits at the beginning of the month, but come the end of the month, the cupboard a lot of times is dry. Why? Because all these needs come up. And if we tend to view our stewardship as, I'll be a steward of what's left over, oftentimes we find that nothing's really left over. And that's why the Scripture says, no, honor the Lord. Why? Because it's the Lord's to begin with. And trust Him and walk with Him faithfully. And from those first fruits, then, give. The Old Testament consistently teaches the concept of tithing, of giving 10% of what we have back to the Lord. I've preached on that before. I believe that the New Testament then would call us to give beyond that. That if we were called to give 10% under the law, that then under grace we should give even more. But fundamentally we should give as the Lord has blessed us. Some people can give much more than that. The key is not to look at it and go, well, I don't give 10%, so I feel really guilty, and so I'm going to try. But it's kind of like going from, I don't read the Bible at all, and I'm going to read the Bible next year. The key is to think, where are you, and how can you move ahead? What can you resolve to do in this coming year? Wherever you're at now, I would encourage you to resolve to do more. And as you do, I can tell you this as the pastor of the church. I'm seeking to lead this church so that we will be better and continually better stewards of the resources that God blesses us with. That we will use those resources to enable the Great Commission around the world. I I thank you, church. We set a goal of $15,000 for our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And in light of being under budget and some other things, and looking at the money had come in, I thought, I don't know if we're going to get there. Well, last week we got there. Because you gave, because we gave faithfully. And I thank you for that. I pray that we can do even more to further missions around the world. And so we're seeking to be good stewards. We've reduced next year's budget. Last year we reduced this year's budget. We'll continue to do what we can do to be the best stewards of the resources God brings here. But for that to happen, we all need to give as God has blessed us. And so resolve to be a better steward of the resources God's blessed you with. And then finally, point three, resolve in this coming year to see lost people Come to faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. For me, the, the most overwhelming thing I see, uh, what, what just makes me stop and say that this is a God-sized thing taking place in this passage is verse 47. That as these believers were coming together, as they're breaking bread, as they're receiving their food, as they've got glad and generous hearts, The scripture says that they're praising God and God was giving them favor with all people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. A very important point here. They didn't add anybody. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I'm not asking you and I'm not telling you me personally that we're going to go out there and accomplish anything on our own. But I do believe the scripture calls us to be resolved be a part of the Lord's work and seeing lost people come to faith 
in our Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that happens when we not only walk the walk, but we talk the talk. And I think that's what you see here in this passage. You got very clearly a group of disciples who talked the talk, who stood there at Pentecost and shared clearly the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe as believers, every one of us is called to do the same. We have to speak verbally the gospel to other people. We need to share it with them and explain it and answer questions and process it through biblically with them. We also need to walk a walk consistent with that. And I think you see that as well here. In this description at early church, you've got them faithfully walking with the Lord and walking with each other. And so you have this combination of people who are verbally sharing the gospel and they were living it out. But in our culture today, I think we tend to have a lack of balance in this area. And so we'll have some on one side who say, well, my calling is to be an evangelist and I go out there and I just share the gospel with everybody I can. And and, and I think that's a great thing. But sometimes in doing that, you have people out there speaking the gospel whose lives then are completely inconsistent with the gospel. And there's a problem there. Because people see that. And so maybe you've heard people say, well, you invite them to church, you talk to them about your faith, and they say, well, I know so-and-so, and he talks about it all the time, but I know how he really is. And so you've got this model of hypocrisy. Now, side note here. Everybody's a hypocrite on some level. None of us are perfect in our walk. In fact, I've shared with you before, oftentimes when someone says to me, well, you know, I know that church is just full of a bunch of hypocrites, I often say, well, there's always room for one more. (laughs) You know, come on in. We're all hypocrites. But there is a point here. We need to not only talk the talk, but walk the walk. But for some of us, we we fall on the other side where we say, well, well, I, I am a witness by my actions. I'm going to live the Christian life so that people see it. I I don't need to say anything. A lot of people over here say stuff. I'm just going to live it, and they're going to see it by how I live. Well, I say this to that. If anybody could have pulled that off, it would have been the Lord Jesus Himself. But the Lord Jesus faithfully called people repentance. And so if the Lord Jesus needed to back up His walk with talk, I think we do as well. And, and, and here's the problem with saying we're just going to walk, but we're not going to talk. We're, we're just going to live out the gospel, but we're not going to share the gospel. It's very quickly, what that can appear to be to other people is simply moralism. Well, what we then teach people how to do is just be good moral people. We don't give them a reason for the hope that lies within us, and the Scripture says we should. And it, it, it can be an eternal issue. I remember hearing some time ago the Reverend Billy Graham shared a story about how after one of his crusades, uh, a man came to know Christ and, and that man later reported back to him that he went back to his office and one of the first things he did was he went to his boss and he went to his boss and said, hey, I, I want to tell you, I went to this Billy Graham crusade this week and I, I repented and I became a Christian and I'm just so excited, I, I want to go share it with you and with everybody else here. And his boss replied back to him with joy and said, I, I'm, I'm so excited for you. In fact, I've been praying for you faithfully that you would become a Christian. And I've been trying to model the Christian life for you. And Billy Graham shared how this man shared with him that very quickly there was dismay as he turned to his boss and said, you mean to tell me you're a Christian? He went on to explain how this boss to him had become kind of his, his idol, his hero, because, because everything he wanted, it seemed, his boss had. 
and he always seemed to know how to respond to things, and he had such wisdom, and, and he had such a, a good family. But he shared with his boss, I, I thought that you were doing that on your own, and so I've been trying to do it on my own for all these years. See, our, our walking and not talking can have very devastating results because we can simply be modeling to people what is untrue, that somehow we've got it all together. Friends, we don't have it all together. And we need to share with people the reason for the hope that lies within us. And that comes through verbally sharing the gospel with others and then walking in faith as we share that gospel. And I want to encourage you to resolve to do that in this coming year. I want you to consider what it would look like in our church if if every family that, that calls Bloomfield Baptist their church and who is faithfully here, if every one of us prayed intently and sought God for the salvation of just one person in our community, if every one of us did that, can you imagine? And we seem so content when we have two or three, four or five people baptized in one year. What would it look like if we were overwhelmed with the fruit that God provided. And remember, He's the one who provides. I've shared with you, I spent many years working with Campus Crusade for Christ, and Bill Bright founded the ministry. And one of the things he said that I'll always remember is this. He said, successful witnessing is taking the initiative to share the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit and trusting God for the results. Successful witnessing is not, well, I prayed and I went out and look how many got saved. Successful witnessing is when we trust God and pray and we take the initiative because the results are left up to the Lord. And that's why we see results, I believe, in Acts chapter 2. And I believe that's why we can see results in our church if we resolve to walk faithfully with the Lord, to share the gospel with others, if we resolve to be devoted to the Lord and His Word, if we resolve to be generous with the things, the resources God has given us, friends, I believe God will do great things from that. But it starts with us here and now, determining, resolving. Just like young Daniel. Young Daniel had all that in front of him to pull him away from the Lord. And he resolved to walk faithfully with the Lord. You and I have so much in front of us to pull us away from the Lord. You need to make up your mind, Christian, if you're going to walk with Him or not. And then you need to have others around you who will encourage you in that direction. I pray that that will be the resolve that we will all make this Lord's Day. If you would, pray with me. Father God, we come before you today knowing that left to ourselves, we can do nothing of eternal value. And so, Lord, we trust in you and we seek you and we ask you, Lord, to help us to determine, to resolve to walk faithfully with you, to, be, to, to, to study your word, to come together as a church, to be better stewards of the resources you've given us, to be more faithful witnesses, not just in our walk, but in our talk. And Lord, as we pray these things, we're mindful. There may be some gathered here today who are on the outside looking in because they've yet to resolve, to, to resolve to just repent and turn from their sin and walk with you, to trust you with their lives, to seek you as Lord. I pray for them, Lord, as the Scripture teaches, that if anyone, anyone, Lord, will confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised Him from the dead, they will be saved. Lord, I pray they would be saved from their sin. And Lord, for those of us who have been, Lord, I pray that we would not leave this place without resolving 
biblically what this coming year is going to look like. And Lord, that you would empower us through your Holy Spirit, not just to write things now, not just to come up with concepts, but Lord, that you would empower us to resolve to do things the Scripture teaches. And Lord, that You'd empower us then to do those things. Lord, that we might walk faithfully with You. And Lord, that we might see some people here at the end of next year who aren't here this year, who today aren't walking with You, who don't know You. Lord, would You so move that You bring others to faith in Christ. We pray for this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.